Welcome to Being Human. This week, I'm delighted to have as our guest Scott Ambler. He's the Chief Scientist at Disciplined Agile. Uh, Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. No, it's, uh, it's very exciting to have you here to speak to you in person. I first became familiar with your work way back when I was learning to code um, in object-oriented languages, C++ and Java, and some of your early work then uh, was of a great help to me at the start of my career. I've since moved away from being a developer, but I am very interested in how we pull teams together, how do we have teams working at their best, and of course the Agile conversation is a big part of that, and so that brought me to Disciplined Agile. Uh, so delighted again to find your work, but now in a slightly different context. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I, I've read I've read the book. So I've, I've read the, the Choose Your Wow, which is uh, which which seems to be sort of serves as the manual, right, for, for disciplined yeah. agile. And uh, I thought I might start with one of the things you mentioned early on in the book about this idea that it's perhaps an antidote to process populism. Um, do you want to sort of talk about that a little bit? You know, what is it a response to? Yeah, definitely. So what we're what we're what we see um, in practice is a lot of organizations, a lot of teams are struggling uh, to adopt Agile and, or at least to get the benefits of Agile. So you know they'll often adopt Scrum or Save for Less, and and those are all great methods or frameworks. Um, but the problem is is that they have um, they solve a certain problem. And, you know, if you've got that problem, then that might be a good solution for you. If you don't have that problem, then obviously it's not that good of a solution. But the, uh, so there's that. But even if, so let's assume, though, you've, you've adopted the, the right method or the right framework to, to address whatever issue you've got, issues you have. Um, at some point, you know, you address those issues. You solve the problem that that method, that that framework um, solves. So, the, so then what, what do you do? Um, you, 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 you're, you know, you've gone up a level, you know, let's assume everything's gone well and you've improved your process and things, things are going well for you. So you've solved the problem that that method addresses, but now you're, you're stuck. You've got no advice for how to, how to proceed and how to, how to continue to improve. And so what we talk about in the, in the book is something called guided continuous improvement. So we help you to uh, understand how to do um, how to uh, do a, a kaizen loop, a you know how to do continuous improvement effectively. So instead of just throwing you to the wolves, we um, say and, and you know and tell you, oh yes, you can you can do anything you want. You can improve. You're smart. Um, you can figure it out, which is all which is all true. You, you can figure it out, and you are smart, and and all, all those good things. But that that's expensive and slow, and it takes a long time. So instead, why don't we leverage the learnings of others? And um, actually get a step up, and this this is exactly what we're doing in in, uh, in Agile. We're helping provide some uh, advice for you in a very lightweight manner to you know to ba- basically reuse the learnings of others. So you do not have to reinvent the wheel. You do not have to um, you know spend all this time figuring out things that other people have already figured out. So um, instead, you can you know um, identify the the techniques that are likely to work in your situation. And then experiment with them, see how well they work, and then adopt the good stuff and avoid the bad stuff. So um, we're basically helping you to um, to, to um, speed up your overall process improvement. Okay, um, and you mentioned the term KZN loop there. So for for listeners who may be not familiar with that term, should we should we explore that a little bit? What, what do you mean by KZN loop? Yeah, definitely. So so a KZN or KZN loop. 
Oh, is uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, doesn't matter. Yeah. You say tomato, so, I say tomato. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. So yeah, so so the basic idea is you make improvements in small steps. That's what Kaizen is all about. It's this this idea that you 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 improve over time in small steps. And this is exactly um, how all these organizations doing DevOps do it. You know, if you read any of the DevOps case studies, uh, it's all about you know their, their messages are all the same. It's at some point in the distant past. We, we realized we were in trouble. We realized we needed to get better. If we didn't, we would get wiped out by somebody who was better than us. Um, so they all started going into process improvement mode and organizational improvement mode. And sometimes they thought this was a, a short-term project. You know, let's do some six-month improvement and get over with or, or um, you know, at least over fairly quickly. But then they all discovered that it's not about a, a, a short project, that it's really a, a journey. And so you do these transformations and you get you become a learning organization and then you improve over time. So then they, now they've been improving for 10, 15 years, you know, whatever their whatever their story is. And here they are doing these really awesome things that you might not even be able to to um, uh, comprehend. And it's just business as usual for them. And they have no problem sharing the journey with you because they know it's going to take you a long time to do the hard work of doing this improvement. So the, and, and if they do that through Kaizen loops, it's all about you know, make a small improvement. You know, let's come up with a, let's identify something that might work for us to improve our situation, experiment with it, and then see what, see how well it works. And then, you know, keep the things that work well, abandon the things that don't work so well. So that's a, that's a, and then just, And then you know rinse and repeat. So that's a kaizen loop. And the where we come in with Dispenagile is we, is that very first step where you know you, you well I guess the first step is you recognize you've got a, an issue that you need to address. The second step is well let's identify a potential solution, and we can help you up your game by providing you with advice for well here's here's a bunch of choices. Here are the trade offs associated with those choices. Um, here's like considerations when when this strategy works well, when the strategy does not work so well. So then you, knowing your situation, can make a better choice now as to what strategy, what technique or practice might work well for you. So then the, the strategies that you choose to experiment with um, in your situation, you've got a much better chance of that experiment going well now. So we can speed up the improvement loop. You still need to do the hard work. Like you, you know, You're never going to get away from uh, figuring things out and, and um, you know, learning the technique and adopting it. And, going through all the cultural change and all the, all the skills um, uh, uh, adoption that you need, you'll never get rid of that. But what you can do is um, with a little bit of guidance, you can speed things up and you can, you know, maybe, you know, maybe um, instead of having a, you know, 60, 40 split of success versus failed experiments, maybe you can get up to 70, 30 or even 80, 20. And just by making better decisions at the very beginning um, through, um, you know, through, through the application of the toolkit. Right. And so what you do is you help by providing a, a, a set of choices, right? And then it's up to the yeah. individual to make the choice. Um, uh, how, how do you provide some guidance in terms of which choice to make, right? And, and I suppose there's that. And there's also, and what is retained in terms of creative thinking for that individual or that organization in that process? Yeah, exactly. So, so um, and that, that's where that's where the secret sauce is, I guess. So um, so the first thing we do, so instead of prescribing, so all the frameworks and methods, they basically prescribe, here's, here's a collection of what we think are best practices. And, you know, if you just do this, then everything will work out fine. Um, we don't do that. And instead what we do in Dispenagile is we say, 
here, here are the issues you need to think about. So for example, you need to explore scope. And when you're exploring scope, you need to think through things like, well, how, how are people gonna use this solution? Um, what, you know, what requirements do we have for the user interface? What, um, you know, what quality of service requirements do we have? Do we need to capture any details? And if so, how much? Um, how are we going to go about managing changing requirements later on in the life cycle? Because that will drive other decisions. So we work, you, we work through, say, you know, here's these decisions that you're making. Um, at least implicitly, you're making these decisions. Um, and then our advice is, well, let's, let's be aware of what we're actually working through and explicitly think about these things. And then for each of these decisions, as, as for example, how do we go about exploring usage? Well, here's a bunch of options. Um, you know, epics and user stories and use cases and scenarios and personas and, and many others. And we say, you know, here are the trade-offs. Here, here are when each of these techniques uh, may or may not work. Um, so, so then you, so then then the creative the creative part is now you know, like I, I don't know what your situation is. I can't read your mind. And I can't tell you this is a best practice. Like anybody tells you, you know, I have a best practice, um, it, they're lying. It's not because any practice is, works well in some situations and work, doesn't work so well in others. So because I don't know your situation and you do, what I can do with Dispenagile is I can help you make better decisions. I can help give you options and help you make better decisions. But you need to, you, but you know your situation. I don't. You know what your, what your strengths and weaknesses are. I don't. Um, so I can help you say, you know, give you some options and, and, and also make you aware that there are options like that. Sadly, um, that's a, a big part of the overall toolkit is we first of all, let you know that there are options. Um, because if you've only ever heard about, you know, scrum or safe or whatever, then you might not even know that you, you won't know the wealth of options that are out there. Um, so, but you still need to decide, you still need to run the experiment. So and just because something sounds like it might work for you doesn't mean it actually will. You still need to try it out. Like this is where the Kaizen loop comes in, right? So um, we can just help you make a better decision, but you still need to you still need to make a decision, and you still need to try it out and find what works for you and what doesn't work for you in your situation, um, and then you know act accordingly. So it's still, and then you're still putting everything together um, on your own. So you know there's basically an infinite, you know, effectively an infinite number of combinations of the people of uh, how people can choose their wow um, and of course evolve it over time because your situation you know your skills will change your situation will change so you will evolve your way of working your wow um, as you learn and as you get better and that's what kaizen is all about and, and that's what these you know, like i said that's what these devops case studies all talk awesome um and it's it's interesting to know um I, as far as i can tell like if you list all the companies that you 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 admire and that you um you know, that you, that you would be afraid to compete against if you had to. Um, it's, it's interesting to me that they're mostly talking about Kaizen. Here, we got to this great point to being awesome by, you know, through these Kaizen loops and by doing by, you know, by basically by bootstrapping, you know, very, very rarely do you hear, well, we adopted this framework or we adopted this method and that's why we're totally awesome. And you're, you're totally, you know, scared of us now um, because we're so great. Um, it's known. It's always, yeah, we experiment, we figured it out and we figured out how we were going to work. Um, so I would say, you know, and, 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 and all these organizations that are adopting these frameworks, nobody really seems to be scared of them. Um, you know, they, they might be your competitors and they might be a little ahead of you, um, and might be getting some benefit from you. Uh, you know, organizations like Amazon or Google or, or others. Um, so I think this is something that's very, um, uh, very important to, to, to choose to observe. 
um, you know, the organizations that are, that are really truly competitive, um, they're the ones doing these Kaizen loop. And, and, and it's, this, and this strategy has been around for, you know, decades. Um, so it's a well-proven. So that, you know, I would. Yeah, and it, and, it, and it stands to reason that the only way I can, I can develop competitive advantages is if I've developed something uniquely that nobody yeah. else has. And I have to do that through, through my own process, my own thought process. But that, that yeah. brings back to this term, which I love this idea of process populism. So, and I think of that, I think of it like a, a kind of reductive answer to a general, generalized anxiety. And I think that anxiety, and I think what you're pointing to is a sort of anxiety around, we need to go agile, but we don't know how. And somebody comes along and says, well, here's how. Yeah. So how, when you come along and you say, well, we're not really going to tell you how, we're going to kind of give you some options. How do you deal with the fact that that person might be anxious and how it might feel more appealing to them to take a, a framework or a more prescriptive answer. Well, yeah. So a lot of people look for an easy answer, right? They're, they're always, um, you know, just give me the magic diet pill. Give me the, you know, you know just tell me the, you know, the, the seven easy steps to, to become agile, right? They're always looking for, and there isn't. So um, part of the first answer is, you know, part of the answer is to recognize that you're going to have to, do the, you're going to have to do the hard work. Um, now, you know, the methods and frameworks do help. Like if you look at the industry stats, um, there are, you know, they, cause they solve a problem, right? So if you happen to have that problem, that might be a solution for you, right? I mean, I assume you can pull it off. Um, so let's assume you can pull it off, but then it only gets you so far. And so our approach is, well, and, and a lot of organizations have done this. Like a lot of organizations have adopted scrum or say for whatever, whether it made sense to do so or not, doesn't really matter. They've done it. So here, here's where they are. So our approach is, um, you know, we like to say you go to war with the army that you got. You, you go to war with the organization that you've got. So we, we go in and we take more of a lean approach and we say, okay, this is what it is. Let's start improving it. Let's start, let's start um, making changes. Now, sometimes you can make some pretty big changes and it's a bit rough, um, but you're much better off to make slow changes over time. So, you know, um, so the organizations that we work in, sometimes there's just some blatant dysfunction that just, we need to address this. Um, you know, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to solve, you know, you're not really going to move forward until, you, you you actively go after this big problem here, um, but then almost most of the time the, the you know these organizations you know are in fact doing reasonably well. Um, you know there's some you know there's clearly a few just you know usually a few cultural challenges, but um, you know they've got the skills to at least get something done. So we can start you know we can work with that and start getting you know start improving and start getting better. Um, and we just want to speed it up. But a lot of it too is you know we need to um, like we have these discussions all the time with 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 the customers that we work with. And the, you know, so we help them understand here's, you know, here, uh, and it's in a very lightweight manner, these, um, what we call uh, process goal diagrams, which are for the most part, decision tree, uh, you know, decision trees on steroids, basically. And so we have this very lightweight uh, and easy to understand uh, um, uh, strategy, um, but the problem, you, know, you need a little bit of training to understand, you need to get the basics and, and understand that. And, and we often get pushback, you know, a little bit of pushback is, you know, this is so complicated and I, you know, I'm just looking for an easy answer and my response, okay, I appreciate you're looking for an easy answer. Um, but what would you take away? I was actually working with uh, some people just last week on this and, uh, and, and, and this is always my response. Everybody says it's too complicated. Okay, fine. What would you take away? Um, you know, what, what, what don't you do here? And he said, well, we, you know, we don't do that. Really? Somebody doesn't do that. Or is it, you don't do that? Oh, well, I don't do that. But yeah, you know, those people over there do that. Okay. So is that important stuff? It's, well, it is, but I just don't do it. Okay, well, fine, um, but it's being done. So let's let's understand that you know 
you know, you know, let's first of all observe that this stuff is actually happening and let, let's try to, let's try to optimize it, right? Let, let's try to, let's try to make it better. Let's try to improve things. And, 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 and usually, and the really strange thing is what happens is like five minutes after this, oh, this is too complicated um, discussion. It becomes a, oh, maybe you're missing this and this. Oh, okay. So now it's not, now it's not complicated enough for you. Right. So we totally change the, you know, the conversation completely changes. Um, so yeah, so I think, so one of the, I think a, a big issue in the industry, um, and this is completely human nature is we're always looking for easy answers and there aren't any, um, you know, this is a, a you know, particularly software development, let alone other aspects of organization are, are complex. They're, they're complex endeavors. And this is why, because if it was simple, it would get automated away. You'd be out of a job. So it's, you haven't been automated out of a job yet. So it tells me there's some complexity here and you might want to embrace that complexity and do what you can to improve it and, and, and make it simpler. But we need to, we need to understand that, you know, fundamentally the reason why humans are still involved are, is the fact that it's complicated enough that a human needs to be involved. So, um, you know, let, let's, uh, you know, let's be happy actually that we have these complex, that the, that these complexities exist. So in disfinancial, we're holding up the mirror to the complexity that you face. Um, so instead of trying to spin a story for here's how it's simple and, and here's like the, you know, here's the wonderful eight steps to take. Um, we say, no, you need to think and you, you're going to, you're going to do the work. You need to think, um, we can certainly streamline things and we can certainly, um, improve, help you improve the way that you think, but you're still going to have to do the hard work. And, um, because there's no easy answers there. And I think, um, so, so this is, ba- so some people appreciate that. Some don't so you know it all depends on where you are in your um, you know learning journey yourself of of actually understanding what uh, you know uh, your ability to appreciate the um, what the situation that you actually face um, you know if you're still looking for an easy answer then yeah yeah go do scrum go do safe and then um, once you start realizing oh this is a little harder than you think um, then come back to us so we're, we're seeing a lot of organizations doing that now um, and because we have a very coherent message and strategy and technique for Here's how we can you know break, help you break out of method gel. Um, uh, but a year ago, Ivar or last fall, I guess, um, Ivar Jakobsen um, wrote a wonderful um, article for ACMQ and uh, about how to break out of you know about how we're in method prison with all these methods and frameworks and how do you break out? And it's all all about you got to understand the situation you're in and and choose to improve. Um, so he you know the Essence Toolkit um, also has a has a reasonably pretty good strategy as well. Uh, for doing the same, and when we're working together, it's a it's a it's a good uh, good partnership. I like that metaphor, actually. So, so I'm just visualizing your um your decision tree diagrams, you know, from the book, and they are quite complicated, right? You've got a lot of got got a lot of legs to to, to these uh, to these diagrams, but it but it seems a couple of things are emerging. One is that it, it is a what you are treating is the whole, and you talk about that in the book, right? You know, you treat you treat the whole the whole environment, right? And so if you're, if, you're, if you're going to be true to that, then of course there are a lot of facets that you need to explore. And I think that the diagram represents the reality of that. But it also it seems to me like here are several routes out of methods jail. You know, if, it's, if these are Tom, Dick and Harry tunnel, tunnels, if you know the great escape, then yeah, yeah. It's, it's the Tom, Dick, Harry, Janet, John and you know, all the various tunnels that, you know, out of this by just answering questions in, in these domains. Yeah, exactly, and 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 that's a very good point. We we do choose to look at the whole picture, and when you when you look at the whole picture, because that's what you're actually dealing with, right? You're de- in your organizations, you're dealing with the whole picture. So you know, just thinking about disciplinary delivery, which is the you know the the first of of four layers of the toolkit, 
um, where we're dealing with you know, solution delivery, software development from, um, from start to finish, um, and then all aspects of it, that's a lot of work right there, right? Like, you know, I had to go to school for four years to get a computer science degree. Um, and that, and that basically just qualified me to become a novice programmer um, at the end of the day, right? So um, there, there's a reason why we have, we have to go to school for so long to, to learn because it's, it's complicated. And so we look at all aspects of, you know, we ask questions like, how do you initiate a team effectively? How do you do construction? How do you do um, transition? Like, how do you do release and production? And then, of course, um, uh, you know, and then go back again. And, and then while you're doing all that, how do you address um, uh, interacting with your stakeholders? How do you address um, architecture? How do you address design? How do you do um, programming and testing and, and governance and management and, and all these other things? And, and you got to get it right. Um, because the, and it all fits together. And how, so how does this all fit together in a coherent and cohesive whole? Um, and then that's, that's just solution delivery. And, and so my team, uh, my solution delivery team, we interact with the finance people, the procurement people, the, the operations people, and, you know, the, the enterprise architects and many, many others. So how do we do that in a, in a, in an effective streamlined, lightweight manner? And then if, and when we look at it from the point of view of like the enterprise architects or the governance people, how do we, you know, as an enterprise architect or as a governance person, how do I interact with these agile and lean teams? But as well, I got to keep the lights on. How do I interact with the traditional teams as well um, and keep and help them? And then, and then, uh, and then as the organization shifts from being more agile and lean or being, you know, more traditional and they shift over to being more agile and lean, um, my group of people need to evolve at that sort of rate. So there's a lot of, a lot of moving parts here in your organization and you really can't ignore them. Um, yes, you know, I work with, we, you know, we work with companies on a regular basis and I think, um, you know, one of the, uh, one of the strengths of the toolkit is it reflects the realities of our team going into organizations and actually doing this stuff in practice and choosing to observe what works well and what doesn't work well. And, and actually helping companies to adopt these things and helping teams and, and, and individuals to adopt these strategies. And we see a very common problem that we see all the time is that, you know, these, you know, these organizations, they'll focus on you know, the software development team and helping it become agile, which is great. But if they interact with these other groups in the organization and those other groups are not agile and sometimes um, very anti-agile and maybe yeah. even actively trying to sink you, uh, because they are very threatened by agile because they, you know, the, the agile messages, you need to produce value. Uh, and if you struggle to do that, um, you will fight any, you know, anything that for, would force you to produce value. So, um, you know, harsh observation, but you know, it's the reality that we face. So, um, the point is that, you know, as an agile team, as an agile software team, if I'm in, if my team's interacting with these other teams, then, um, they either need to work at least with us in, in an agile manner that makes sense. Um, now that might mean we need to help them become agile and start coaching them and, and, and teaching them and good stuff like that, which is fine. Or um, they need to at least like, sort of get out of the way and um, say, and, and let us um, succeed. Cause the last thing you need is like the procurement group or the, you know, the enterprise architect architecture group or some other group throwing anchors around your neck, just as you're trying, you're trying to learn how to swim. And somebody comes along, so by the way, here's a 50-pound anchor. Put it around your neck um, and learn to swim like that because we refuse. Because we're the anchor and uh, you know, we don't really believe in what you're doing. So here you go. Um, I'm, sure you can, I'm sure you can handle a 50-pound anchor around your neck. 
Um, and you know, bad things happen at that point. So, um, you know, we need to look at the, we need, we need to optimize the whole, we need to look at the, the overall bigger picture and, um, and, and act accordingly. And, and the big picture is not pretty sometimes. Right. And complicated. Uh, yeah. Very complicated. Yeah. Where we, we, our, our organizations are complex adaptive systems and we need to understand that. And, uh, and there's some very significant implications of that, um, that if you don't, if you don't, um, accept and then act accordingly with, um, you, you'll never succeed. And the, so, the, you know, so complex adaptive system is always evolving, always changing, always learning. Um, so my group, my team will be working with others. We'll, we'll be doing whatever we're doing uh, and, we'll, and we'll interact with other teams to get the job done and they'll interact with us in similar ways. So we're constantly learning. We're constantly learning from each other and we're constantly evolving. Um, and the environment that we're in is constantly evolving. Our customers are constantly evolving. So everything is, is changing and shifting on us and we need to be, we need to be effective. We need to work, to, you know, we need to work together to be competitive in the marketplace and delight our customers because if we don't, somebody else will. And we'll be out of business. And I think this is, and it, you know, gets back to these DevOps case studies. Um, they're all very clear about that. Um, they were, you know, they they were fearful of being wiped out. Um, you know, back, you know, whenever they got on this journey, um, it was always because they knew, they knew they were in trouble, and if they didn't become more competitive and didn't get better, that um, they'd be out of business. And I think this is something that a lot of organizations are starting to get into now. Um, you know, there's a lot of rhetoric around this, and um, but there's nowhere near as much like real action um, in organizations that I see. I, you know, there's people talk about it, but then they don't want to do the hard work. Um, you know, it's like, I, you know, I, I obviously need to uh, lose a few pounds and uh, you know, it, it's easy for me. to say, Oh yeah, I'm going to go on a keto diet at any, any, any day now. And then, you know, years later, I'm, you know, still haven't gotten started. So um, that's the thing, right? You know um, it's hard work. It's hard work to do these things. Um, and you've got to start and you've got to keep at it. Well, that's a fascinating isn't it? In observation, the the possibility that it, we now may be hitting the point where being agile, becoming agile is less of a nice to have, it's less of an aspiration for organizations uh, and is becoming an imperative. Is that is that what you're suggesting? I think so. I, I, um, I think like working in an agile manner, um, you know, being agile or being lean um, or combinations thereof is table stakes. Um, it's not, it's not an option. It just isn't. Um, because if, if you don't, you won't, you're not going to survive like, you know, cause agile and, and lean is all about, you know, let's be smart about the way we work. Let's, let's be adaptive. Let's be, uh, let's be collaborative. Let's delight our stakeholders. Um, all these good critical things, um, that will, that will help make us competitive and keep us, keep us going. Um, there, what, what are your, what are your options? You know, you what are your options? So you're going to not be competitive. Um, how long do you think you're gonna last? Uh, so, I, like this, this I think is just, like, even in government, you need to be you need to be effective now, now these days. Um, you know, we work with a few government agencies, and um, government needs to spend the money wisely. They need to you know serve the citizens and do so effectively. Um, so this is um, because you know there's only so many tax dollars you can get, and I think this is uh, this is a critical thing, thing to observe. I, I I'd be hard pressed to name a, an industry where being agile is not table stakes. Right. Right. And, and if you're, if you're, um, if you're going into organization and you, and you, you're saying to them, okay, we want you to, to, to think, we want you to make your own choices and learn as you go. Uh, 
and you've got a block of people who are wedded to a certain certain set of processes and are, and are very attached to them. And as you say, if in order to get any kind of movement in the organisations, you've you've either got to get get them out of the way, or you've got to find a, a way to work with them. Um, how do you, how do you start with that group especially? Because I think it's it's quite easy to understand how you work with people who are up for the agile journey, right? But but what are your sort of learnings and any wisdom you can share about working with those who are most resistant to it? Yeah, so that's where all the challenges with with these transformation efforts. Um, so our, you know our 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 go in position is we want to help you get better, and so even these groups that might not. Um, might not want to change or, or simply often it's like they don't have the resources or maybe they don't realize um, often they don't realize that they can and, and, and need to change. Um, but yeah, our, our going position is always to help them and, and help educate them and, and, you know, discuss what the issues are and, and ask, ask, ask questions like, you know, so how well do you think this is working? Um, because these groups often realize that they're, that they're, what they're doing isn't very effective. They just, you know, you know, like what they're doing. Sometimes they like what they're doing or, and very often they hate it. Um, they realize that they're not adding value. They realize that, um, that things need to be better, but they're, they often feel disempowered and they, they feel that they can't change because, you know, because of the complexity, because everything is so interconnected um, that they feel that they can't, that they're not either they can't or they don't know how to make these changes. And they often don't realize that, you know, small change, small change, small change will start to add up over time. Um, so, so there's that and, and, and to be, and rightfully so, you know, they often have their vision, their, their preferences that, you know, make, you know, mean that they might not be aligned with others. Um, you know, there's always that, that sort of thing going on. So, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons why they're reticent. Um, and they simply might, you know, they might be so overwhelmed. Um, you know, if you're, if you're working, you know, 50, 60 hours a week just to keep the lights on and if somebody comes along and says, Oh, by the way, now we need to do all this hard work to become agile. Um, you know, your response is going to be bite me. Like, you know, I, I got better, you know, I, I, I'm barely, I'm barely, you know, barely keeping afloat here. And you're telling me, you know, I've got to do this other stuff too. So, so, you know, I, I can't blame them, but at the, and, and frankly, you know, it's easy to say, you know, we need an organizational pass. You need to get out of the way because we're being agile. Um, that message rarely goes well. So, um, like that is like the absolute last last resort, you know, get out of my way has got to be your last option that you try because, um, people just don't, don't respond well to that. Um, and right, and rightfully so. But at the same time, you, you know, your organization has to realize there's gotta be this understanding, uh, within your organization that things need to change and need, and need to get better. And that means we're going to be uncomfortable for a while. I'm um, probably forever, but um, certainly for a while and you're not going to get everything. So what, this is one of the reasons why we also, um, invite you know we, we promote this idea of optimizing the whole you got to look at the bigger picture right because if you are very, very narrowly focused you know they say you're an enterprise architect and you've got the the official enterprise architecture way of working um, you might be very happy doing that and and be oblivious to the cost and damage that you're causing because um, you're only focused on here's here's all these good things that we're doing and when you're not looking at the bigger picture you're not realizing yeah but you know for for everybody to jump through your hoops in order for you to do your job, it's incredibly slow and expensive. And, you know, you're a bottleneck and you're not adding value. And, and this is, and, but they don't, they're not measuring that. They don't perceive that. Um, they might, they might believe that they, that it's not their fault because other people, and if only everybody else aligned well with them, things would be fine. There's all these reasons, but 
at the end of the day, we need to look at the bigger picture. We need to ask, okay, look, let's look at the whole loop here and ask how well this is working. How does it fit as, how is it all fitting in together? Um, and then, then you start realize, wow, we need to, we need to start change. You know, everybody needs to start changing and moving it, starting to move in a better direction. And it's going to take time. Um, and then unfortunately we, we, you know, you get in these situations where, well, just tell me the one official way of doing things and or get, tell me the tool, you know, give me the tool. Um, and we'll just use the tool and we'll be happy. And it's no, no, we need to, we need to figure this out and we need to get the skills and we need to experiment and, um, and it's going to take time. Like it, again, every swap, there's some low hanging fruit, uh, but usually it's, but if there's low hanging fruit, you know, everybody's, these are smart, smart, experienced people. If there's some low hanging fruit, they've probably picked it already. So, um, there, it's pretty rare that, you know, you like at least easy things are, are, are available to do anymore. It's always some very hard, you know, we got three or four groups of people that really need to need to align, um, better and, and need to choose to work better. And, and part of that, part of that message is also, you might have to go, you might have to gain new skills and go in a new role. So, so what do you do with people that, um, are, you know, they're happy in their current roles, but the roles are going away and, yeah, you know, and and the thing with agile is that there's there's a lot of great roles that are that are um, very very effective and very and far, probably far more interesting than what we see in the traditional world in many cases. Um, but it takes time. Uh, you know, it takes a different mindset, and then it takes time to get there. You know, to learn the mindset and to learn the skills that you need. And you, and as an individual, you need help moving into this new role. So and and most organizations will help you, but you've got to choose to make this journey yourself. Um, and then do the hard work to do it. And I think the, um, and that's, that's hard. Cause like, what do you do when you, you know, you've been a, you know, you've been a project manager for 30 years and you, you believe in that and you, and, and all this stuff. Now we still need project managers, but perhaps not as many. Um, so, you know, when you've got far too many people in a given traditional role and you're missing people in a, in a, uh, in an agile role, then it tells me that maybe we can start, maybe we can, we should start shifting people over in that other role. Um, and that might mean you need to redefine your career and you need to re redefine what you, what you value and what, and how you perceive yourself in the workplace. Um, and that, um, that's very threatening. Some people, and some people love it. You know, it's always a range of, of, um, uh, thoughts on this. And so some people absolutely love this idea that they've got, you know, there's, there's new opportunities they can learn and, and you know, do these really cool things. And others, it's like, no, no, I'm very happy. I'm happy in, in my little box, and I want to, I want to continue doing this forever. And it's like, no, that, that's going away. And uh, or, or, or there's not, there's not as many um, roles. I think, you know, not as many positions as there used to be for that role. Like, there, and, and that, that's a hard thing, right? Um, because you know, if you shift, you know, if you go down from like say 100 positions in a certain thing down to 20. Um, and then the, those, those other 80 people have got to go do something else. Um, that's great. But if you don't have, like, usually there's more people aiming for those 20 positions than, you know, than they're, you know, like there's far more, far more people than 20 aiming for those 20 role, those 20 positions. Um, so now we're in a hundred game situation, right? Um, and, 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 and then all this dysfunction occurs, um, as people start scrapping it out, trying to aim for these, um, these 20 positions or, Worse yet, spinning a story for why there really needs to be 80 of them um, as opposed to 20 of them and then find, doing all this make work and oh, it's crazy. So, um, and, and this is hard, right? You know, if you're leadership in these organizations, um, you know, you, and, and, you got, and during this transition, it's not just like we go from a shift over time 
and um, we need and we need to keep the lights on when when we're doing a shift. So there's a lot of a lot of moving parts in these uh, agile and lean transformations. Um, and it's not and like I said, it's not really a transformation; it's a journey. Um, so all this stuff shifts over time. Right. And uh, and what what comes to mind here is the is the fundamental tenet of of lean in terms of the Toyota production system and and respect for people and from my, certainly my understanding of the of the Toyota way of working is that when you create efficiencies in a team there is never a sense that we're now going to fire people it's always well let's take people from here and have them go work to create efficiency somewhere else and I think there's often that idea I mean I, I saw a report in the British press uh, about the CEO of British Telecom, you know, major telecoms company here, talking about you know we're we're going lean and we're gonna we're gonna be able to release ten percent of the force the the the, uh, the workforce, and and that made me so angry because it, it puts this association with lean and job cuts right, and actually at the heart I think of what you're talking about here is we have to go the other way and we have to actually create a lot of safety around these programs. And have people see that there can be a path from where they are today to where uh, the, the roles might be in the future. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, so for for BT, it, it's it's absolutely foolish to to tell people, oh yeah, we're going lean and we're going to cut ten percent of you. Um, that demotivates a few. I, that's reasonably demotivating. <laughs> so um, I would fight that tooth and nail. If you know, it's like, yeah, I'm going to do all this hard work and then get cut. It's you know, I, I would push back against that. So, yeah, and I think the, the real message has got to be um, there is a path for you. And this is what we do in our training and in our, in, our, uh, in our coaching is we make it very clear, not only that there's one path, there's multiple paths. Um, so if I'm, a, if I'm a project manager or a business analyst or, or whatever, um, there's multiple roles that I could, that I could take, take on in the agile space if I choose to make that journey. Um, so you've got to make a choice now, which is, is some people don't want, but um, but yeah, there, there's multiple options and, and we help, we want to help you get there. And I think this is, you know, so, and we want to find ways to, um, to help you add more value to the company and become a, like an awesome employee and, and become more valuable. Um, certainly this is, this is a good thing. So, um, but yeah, so you're absolutely right. Like, you know, we, we definitely lean towards the, the lean approach of, yeah, let's find, you know, you know, let's help you move into a, into a value adding role and, and shift your career. Um, what's not to like about that. So yeah, telling people, yeah, we're going to ax, you know, 10, 20% of you. Um, yeah, that's not, not going to work. Because out well. we're going lean. It, it, because we're going lean. Just... Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. So then you blame lean. Um, and then, yeah, so everybody blames lean and, and worse yet, as soon as you start saying, Hey, there's going to be layoffs, you lose all your good people because they, they abandon ship. Uh, because you know, why, why take the risk of, of being cut? Um, when they can, you know, when the grasses might be greener on the other side. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be be doing that at all. I, you know, the the, the spin needs to be in, in the strategy. For it's not spin; it's a strategy. The strategy needs to be: we're gonna, you know, take our existing workforce and make make them more effective, and help them be, help them become more effective. Um, like, what's not to like about that? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, and and frankly, anybody saying that, you know, if I hear leadership saying, you know, we need to become more lean and and cut X percent of our staff, very first thing I'm thinking is, well, wait a minute. Why did, why do you need to cut that much? Like what, how have you, how badly have you managed this firm so far that you need to cut now? What the heck is going on here? Right? Like, you know, why weren't you doing your job earlier? 
Um, that, I think, you know, maybe the press should um, ask a few questions um, about that. But and they won't. But anyways. No, no. But I, I, I it's, it's unfortunate that it that it gets associated with efficiencies as opposed to creative solutions, thinking for yourself. Uh, and having read some of the KZN send books, there's, there's the real sense of actually this is liberating and it's fun and, and, and you want to experiment with your colleagues about how you can make this process, you know, awesome. And, and it's, it, it, the, the reality of it in terms of my, my sense of when it's done well is very different to it being about efficiencies, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and it's really weird. Like we, we've run into situations where, you know, at the beginning of an engagement, you know, there'll be people fighting us tooth and nail and, and, or they'll, they'll be, fu- they'll be just fundamentally unhappy with what they're doing. And then six months later, um, they're joy, they're joyful, or, or at least they're, they're significantly happier than they used to be. And, and we've run into people where like at the beginning, you know, I've had people come up to me like six months, a year, a year later and say, man, you know, I fought you tooth and nail in this. And I thought, you know, think, you know, I, I thought the world was going to come to an end because we were doing this, you know, this evil agile stuff. Um, and I said, man, my job is way better. I love it here. <laughs> this is way, I, you know, I enjoy my job now. And I'm so glad I've moved out of what I was doing and, um, and, and they're just much happier. And because like, who doesn't want to add value who, and, and frankly, um, if you're not adding value, you're constantly at risk of worrying, well, what am I going to do? Um, you know, you know, I might, I might lose my job. And because eventually, you know, because you, you are at risk, you know, if you're not adding value, you are at risk of being cut. And, and that's pretty scary. Like I'm, I'm in my, my early fifties and what would you do if you're in your early fifties or late, you know, somewhere in your fifties and then suddenly you get laid off. Um, wow. Um, that's a, That's a scary proposition. Um, so yeah, we, we got to worry about things like this. And and why? And frankly, why wouldn't you want to add value? Why wouldn't you want to enjoy your work? Um, and and like love going in, love going to the office. Like why wouldn't you want that? And um, and be valuable. Um, be you know be be you know be valuable. Be seen as being valuable. Um, then your problem will be you know you'll be you'll be hoping to retire at some point. And, you know, they won't let you go. <laughs> it's like, you know, they'll, they'll keep, you know, you know they'll, they'll golden handcuff you in and you'll, you'll, you'll never get to leave. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I would rather have that problem. Um, so. Right. And, and of course, that's the that's the promise of sort of the, the setting up teams in these ways is because they come so become so rigorous about measuring the, the, their impact and their value over time that the, the team as a whole of which I become a part of becomes hugely valuable if it's if it's staying true to those principles, to the rest of the organization, and absolutely, absolutely you're right. I become, I become secure by virtue of the fact I'm contributing to this high value add team, as opposed to my box on the org chart, which could be, you know, at risk in the next reel, right? Oh yeah, exactly. Um, so you want to be, on, you want to be on good solid teams. Cause even if like that line of business starts to go, um, you know, people, you're, you're going to redirect like these, these healthy, these healthy functioning teams, you're going to redirect them to do other things. And, and we see that all the time too, right? Like, Cause once you've built a team and it's, it's like the, this engine of getting stuff done, don't mess with it. Um, and, and keep, you know, keep them together and, you know, you might point them at different things, but certainly, um, you know, keep these teams together and let them, let them, um, you know, be successful. Um, this is a, this is a, a very good thing, but, uh, and, and all this takes a, you know, a different mindset. It takes a, you know, it takes a different leadership mindset. It takes a, a different um, well mindset for everybody, 
but um, certainly a different leadership mindset. And I think the this is a, a challenge, I think, for our, our current managers. First of all, if you're a manager, we really need to, sh- to help you shift into leadership um, because we really need leader managers, not just managers. Um, so well, this is... Well, let's uh, talk about this- that, actually. Sorry, yeah. So what would you see as the, the key facets of the of the leader manager? Yeah, so I think a, a lot of it... So I somebody who's just a manager um, tells pe- tells other people what to do. You know, they plan, they, you know, they might estimate, they plan, they strategize, and then they go, they believe that they need to tell their staff what to do. And if you have very, you know, um, low-skilled staff, that might be the case. Um, but this is certainly not the case in the software world or in the, in the, in the, in the business world in general. Like these are, these people are, are skilled professionals. They know what they're doing. They've got the skills. They have the ability to think for themselves. So they don't need to be told what to do. They, they need to be led. They need to be guided. Uh, maybe they need to be facilitated. Um, so, you know, you might be, you might be acting as a facilitator of planning and, and stuff like that and, and helping people to solve some real hard problems. But you won't be telling them, you know, here's the official way of doing this and, you know, get this done by Friday. Um, we don't, we, we, most professionals don't need that. Um, they just, they need, they need guidance. They need, need, need direction. Um, they need, um, you know, they need to be um, seen, you know, uh, recognized as, as, as providing value. They need to be provided with um, valuable work and meaningful work. Um, things like that. And so this is what our, our manager leaders need to be doing is um, helping to grow these teams and, and helping to, uh, to sustain them and to provide them with um, the feedback and the, the resources they need and the, um, like the money and the time that they need and, the, and get them to help them um, gain the skills and the experiences, allow them to experiment, um, you know, set the environment up to enable these teams to succeed. Um, this is, and then, and then when there's like inner team strife and there always is, um, help overcome that. Right. You know, so be the glue, um, you know, or be the grease, maybe, maybe the grease is a better way to look at it, um, to get, you know, all these, all these teams working together. Um, this is, this is what we need. And it's a, it's a much different skill than the, you know, spend, spend, you know, spend months or weeks putting together annual budgets and plans and then, or project plans. And then, you know, keeping them updated as, as the real work happens, like, you know, um, we actually need value. Um, we need leadership and value, um, coming out of our, our out of our leaders. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Actually, just to pick up on that, cause I think this is a, a, I find it a lot when I go into organizations and a major point of tension is, is the, the planning budgeting cycle. And you talk in the book about this idea of a rolling wave plan or rolling wave budgeting how do you manage this tension between this desire to to add value in an iterative way and a need perhaps in more senior levels of the organizations for a longer term view on on finance and activity yeah so so this is always a huge tension in most organizations because um you know particularly in in publicly traded um, companies or um, uh, basically anybody needs to report out to the marketplace because you're in this annual and quarterly um, reporting um, uh, environment. So fair enough, you know, you got to stay out of jail and avoid fines and things like that. Um, But we need to distinguish, I I hope you want to do that. But anyways, we need to distinguish between reporting and planning and, and, and guiding, right? So those can be, can and should be disconnected from each other because they're different. They are very different things. So the planning, we, when we plan, we need to realize that um, we, 
our struggle to, um, you know, and the further in time that we try to plan and try to predict, the fuzzier our plans need to be um, because things, stuff happens, right? So, you know, the marketplace changes, our competitors do things, our people change, everything happens. So we, you know, so the further in the future, um, it has to be fuzzier and fuzzier and fuzzier. So these, so the traditional annual planning that we used to do reflected this, a slower moving environment. Um, it also reflected, reflected lower levels of competition and lower levels of change. This is not our environment anymore. We're, we are in a rapid, um, rapidly changing environment. Um, we will be here forever, more than likely, unless there's some major cat, cataclysm that I think we would all prefer to avoid. Uh, so anyways, um, this is, this is the new norm. So the, so as a result, we are planning, our planning horizons need to be a lot shorter. So we can, we can and should do detailed planning in a, like in a very short horizon, if that's weeks or months, maybe a couple months. Um, but then, um, further out in time has got to be fuzzier and fuzzier and fuzzier. Um, and then what happens is as we move forward in time, like, you know, you know, day by day, we continually update our plan based on our new understanding of the, this fuzzy future that we face and this, our, our new understanding of what our competition and what uh, is doing right now today and what our, 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 um, our customers are also expecting of us. Um, so we constantly update. So we, so this, with rolling wave planning, it's all about planning detail now for the short term, but then um, in the, in the longer term, we it's fuzzier and fuzzier and fuzzier. And then we just, you know, roll into um, the details over time. So, and this technique's been around for decades. This is, you know, it's, it's, it's in the pinbox. It's, it's, this is a, a common management technique. Um, we just need to, we need to adopt it. And what I find, what's interesting is these organizations that are still doing detailed annual planning, often because they, 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 I think in their minds, they, they still connect it to um, 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 re, uh, financial reporting. Um, they, they do all this, they just spend weeks or months sometimes doing this detailed planning. Um, you know, so maybe, you know, maybe this summer, you know, so if you're planning on a, you know, for 2020, um, you'll see organizations that, you know, this, you know, later this summer or going into the fall, they'll start doing this detailed annual planning. And then for, you know, for next year, for 2020, and then this time in 2020, they will be madly, um, re, you know, uh, updating the plan because they were, they didn't predict what was going on. They got, you know, other important things that need to happen. Some things they thought were going to be important really aren't. Um, so they've got you know all these buckets of money and assigned to various projects that don't make any sense anymore. So now they're pulling money from buckets. So there's all this overhead to recover the detail plan to you know, to uh, make the detailed plan realistic. So they they waste all their time doing this detailed planning, and then they waste all their time um, fixing the detailed plan. And you got so you got to get off that treadmill. Um, that treadmill has no hope of working these days. Um, so instead, do t- detailed planning for the short term, which you've actually got a shot at. And do um, you do continuous long-term planning um, at a at a higher level, and uh, and and accept that. So planning is so important; you should be doing it constantly. And um, it's not this annual effort that everybody hates, and then then um, this replanning effort that you know spends the rest of the you invest the rest of your recovering from. Um, so I think that this is um you know in a lot some a lot of organizations have, have, are either have figured this out or are starting to figure it out, but we still see. Um, you know, some organizations that really are, are struggling with this and, uh, and it's a different skill set. It's a different mindset um, to begin with. And it's a different skill set 
Um, and you've got to, you've got to, um, be used to, you've got to be able to deal with uncertainty, um, because you are in an uncertain environment, accept that that's gotta be your very first step has to be, you know, we have this volatility, we have this uncertainty in the marketplace. It is what it is not going away. It's getting worse. Accept that. And then, um, start acting accordingly. Um, because the the old, you know, the old style techniques, um, aren't going to get the job done in the new world. And if you don't, um, uh, you know, if you don't up your game on things like this, um, somebody else will, your, you know, you know, your existing competitors will and get ahead of you. And that, that'll be uh, problematic for you or worse yet. Somebody will come in from the outside and disrupt you and it'll be game over. Yeah. And, and the, the rolling rate budgeting takes presumably the same approach. I mean, you, you want to just do your funds allocation for a short window and then the leave the rest of it fairly fuzzy. Yeah, or exactly. the longer term view fuzzy, should I say? Yeah, exactly. And and, and there, there's like bodies of knowledge out there, like the, the beyond budgeting um, stuff, and it, that goes way beyond. But um, has very clear and 500 companies or Fortune 100 company. Um, so it, it it has a long history of, of working well. Um, so yeah, um, so it's just so I like to compare it to allowance, like anybody with kids. Um, you know, you, do you give your, your kid an, an annual allowance? Um, you know, here's, uh, here's Jennifer, like a thousand dollars. You just, here you go, teenage son, go and spend this as however you think and, and spread that money out over the year and spend it wisely. Uh, heck no. <laughs> you, know, you, 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 you know, every week, maybe you give the kid allowance and you keep an eye on how they're spending it. Um, and so they spend it well, um, you know, if they're, if they're going out and buying books, yeah, I might give the kid more money. Um, so going out and buying cigarettes. Oh no, I don't think so. So, um, you know, you keep an eye on it, right? So the budget changes over time. And, you know, if suddenly I was out of work, well, okay, now, sorry, kid, you're not getting allowance because dad doesn't have any money. Um, so you, you act accordingly and you actually manage, you know, you manage your own budget. And, um, you know, it's because it's not really about um, the hitting an estimate. It really should be about how do we spend the money wisely and how do we get, how do we get the best value out of our investment? Um, and that, that requires you to be, to first of all, think about how you're spending them and then to keep an eye on how it actually is being spent and then adjust, right? We're, we're, we, we constantly have to adjust what we're doing. Um, we can't just, you know, predict. And, and frankly, if you think you can um, predict the future, you should play the lottery. Um, like, <laughs> what are you doing working? <laughs> Pick those right six numbers between 149 and, and retire. Um, or, you know, what's wrong with you? Are you crazy? Um, so yeah, it's, um, you know, we, we've got to, you know, that's the way we, we got to start looking at the future, I think. Um, it, right. the, the future is unpredictable. So stop trying to predict it. Just stop. Right. Yeah. No, I, I love that metaphor. That's a, that's a brilliant one. I'm sure I'll use that. Um, the, other, the other detail I'd like to focus in on, because I also see it as a major tension in, in the companies certainly that I work with, is, the, is this, and you've touched on it a few times in this interview, but this tension between the, the enterprise architect and, and the teams, perhaps. And you have this role in um, disciplined agile delivery of the, of the architecture owner. So could you describe a little bit about how that role works and then, you know, broad, more broadly, how you manage this tension between the sort of enterprise level architecture and, and what teams are doing? Yeah, definitely. So, so the architecture owner role reflects the fact that architecture is important and that we are dealing with architectural issues and making design decisions and, and stuff like that. So um, the architecture owner is a leader. They, they guide, they facilitate the team through making these architecture and design issues. They should also have a handle 
on the, the technical roadmap, the architecture roadmap for the organization, the business architecture roadmap for the organization, and understand what the what the standards and guidelines are, and or at least know who to go talk to um, about that, and you know, and bring that knowledge into the team. They should also be mentoring the team, you know, team members, and and helping helping them, you know, bring them up in these um, higher level, uh, longer term thinking type type things. Yet still, the architecture owner is still a team member. They're still coding. They're still I'm doing something else because there's not eight, usually not eight hours a day of architecture work to be done. So the architecture owner will, uh, in large organizations at least, will work closely with the enterprise architects um, because the enterprise architects, they'll be responsible for the, the long-term vision of the organization. They will be identifying, you know, where, what our, what our roadmap is, where we're going, what we're moving away from, what types of experiments should we, should we start thinking about what technologies, you know, we definitely want to avoid you know, what technologies that we might want to go towards we need to experiment with first. Um, so they, they've got a handle on, on things like this. Now, my architecture owner might be an enterprise architect. So, you know, particularly in, in like, you know, small to medium-sized organizations, um, that'll be the case because, you know, you've only got so many people. Um, or in organizations where, you know, in situations where my team is working on some mission-critical thing for the organization, we certainly want to, might want to have a heavy hitter on the team to help us out with this enterprise architecture stuff. But um, either way, you know, my architecture owner is collaborating in some way with the enterprise, you know, with the enterprise architects and may, may, may be one. Um, so the idea is we're getting this long-term vision into the team and we're making sure the team aligns with the, the direction the company's going in. And as well, we're also bringing the, the realities of what we see on the ground um, up to the enterprise architect. So this is why we have this, this close uh, collaboration. The enterprise architects are learning from us. We're learning from them. It's all working out well. And we see the same sort of pattern on the product owner side as well um, with product management. But the, you know, if, if you have something like that in your company. So anyway, so we want the enterprise architects have this long-term vision. Um, I hope they're um, experienced. Now, the, the larger the organization, the, you know, you'll get large and larger enterprise architecture groups. And there might be a hierarchy or a network, you know, however it is you organize that, the, those people. Um, but they should certainly be actively involved with supporting the teams and maybe even working on the teams in some cases, uh, as I said, uh, as well as under, you know working with the senior executives to understand the overall corporate vision and, and stuff like that. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of moving parts there, but um, certainly the the enterprise architecture effort is critical um, to your success. As is uh, and the architecture owner um, brings that sort of knowledge, that sort of vision and skills into the team and. Um, shares uh, and shares that vision with the the team members. So, um, one thing that's different about um, dispatch delivery, the, the the solution delivery portion of the of the toolkit, is that we have three um, leadership roles on teams. The um, the team lead. So, if you're familiar with Scrum Master, it's sort of like Scrum Master, but just a, with a little little more to it. Um, the um, product owner, if you choose to go that route. So, you know, very similar to what Scrum talks about. Um, and then the architecture owner, which is actually out of Agile Modeling. So we have a, a management-y people type of leader. We have a, um, a uh, requirements, uh, what to do type of leader. And we have a technical how to do type of leader. And between the three of them, they're the, the leadership triumvirate on the team. Um, and they bring in these, um, this um, tension um, between the leadership issues that we're dealing with on the team and, um, um, and, how to, and hopefully thinking long term. Um, so it's a, because in Dismanagile, we, we deal with the entire range of issues. It's not just the management requirements, management stuff you see in Scrum. It's the, 
how do you make all of this stuff work? And when you're looking at the big picture, um, architecture is part of that big picture. Um, right. And so just so thinking about you know, the situation that I became aware of in a particular organization recently is that there's a big frustration with the solution architect in the team, the solution architect together with the engineering lead in this team, um, constantly needing to go up to the enterprise architect to get approval on, you know, on their design decisions and they're waiting forever. And their, their beef is that these are, these enterprise architects don't have any accountability for the delivery on these teams. Um, but yeah, their action or inaction is having a material impact on the delivery of this team for which the engineering lead and, and the solution architect are accountable. And so this is a, yeah, as you can imagine, a considerable source of tension. Uh, have you encountered that kind of dynamic and then, and how do you then address it? Yeah, we, we sadly, yes. Um, we, yeah, we see these, this is a fairly common thing, unfortunately, and it's because the enterprise architects um, haven't become agile yet. Um, they yeah, now, and there's could be very good reasons. Maybe they um, just haven't had the time. Maybe they're, you know, you know, desperately understaffed. Um, and they're doing the best they can, right? So, and that's the assumption I would go in. They're doing the best they can. Um, let's find out what's going on. So my response to that would, you know, sort of what we were getting at earlier would be, well, how can I help you become more agile? How can we, you know, coach and mentor the enterprise architects, at least the ones we're dealing with, um, become more agile and to to work in a, in a more agile manner, which means they're more responsive, which is another reason why the if, the, if my architecture owner is an enterprise architect, then all a lot of this stuff is already being dealt with, right? Because they spend most of their time on my team doing whatever we need to do. And then they interact with the enterprise architects to, to smooth over the relationship. Um, it, now, if they're not um, a member of the enterprise architecture team, we should at least be working close. Well, maybe they should be, but um, we should at least be working closely in a collaborative manner. So the enterprise, and, and we should be, um, empower, like the enterprise architect should be empowering my architecture owner to make the decisions we need to make. Now, if that means they need to be somehow coached and trained on the the overall architecture roadmap and strategy, so be it. And, and this is why we want this this close collaboration at all times between the enterprise architects and the architecture owners is because they're you know part of that collaboration is the architecture owner coming you know coming up to speed on the chain on the evolving uh, roadmap and the evolving vision for enterprise architecture. Um, so we need this all going on or, um, you know, like I said earlier, you know, if the enterprise architects don't want to stand, uh, step up and become more agile, then maybe they should be asked to get out of the way. Um, and you know, and that, that means the leadership in your organization, um, this is part of their jobs, right? To smooth over these, um, tensions between teams. So if your team has a tension with the enterprise architects, either the team should you know, work it out on their own. Or, um, you know, one of the adults, one of the leaders, the organizational leaders should step in and say, okay, enough is enough. You, know, you guys got to work together. And this team is agile. That means the enterprise architects need to step up and become agile or you need to get out of the way. And, um, but then getting out of the way means now my team is responsible for making sure that we conform to the enterprise. It's not, it's not a free pass, right? My team has to st now step up and do the enterprise architecture stuff that we, you know, we need to be up to speed on the enterprise architecture. We need to make sure that we conform to organizational guidance and, and all that good sort of stuff. So it's not a, you know, congratulations, just go off and do what you want. It's a, Oh, now you got stuck with that work too bad for you. Um, that'll teach you to complain. So um, it'll be one of those things, but yeah, but they, you, you've got to overcome this, right? It, Cause it, or it gets back to, 
here's the enterprise architects throwing an anchor around their neck and um, they don't realize the impact of what's going on. Um, and, right. and also to be fair, they just could be just grossly understaffed. Um, you know, they're not doing this for the sheer joy. I, I suspect they're not getting their chuckles out of, out of um, making this team miserable. Um, they're doing the best they can. Right. So, you know, how can we, how can we improve that? How can we, um, you know, make things better for everybody involved? Right. So the key word I took out of that was, was collaboration. Yeah. And interesting. I don't know if you're aware of the work, um, uh, of Alistair Coburn and Heart of Agile, yeah. but that's right at the top there, right? His first quadrant is, uh, is collaboration. But then also this idea that, um, did, the architecture owner then becomes actively engaged in this this strategy development at the enterprise level and and so so there's a there's a quid pro quo right in that high trust relationship there well yeah exactly and, and so what, what what we're effectively doing in Dispanangel is we're, we're saying we need we still need to work together we need to work together and what we're doing is we're replacing the bureaucracy and and you know what what so whatever the enterprise architects are trying to do now and you know, forcing you to go through reviews and, you know, whatever else is going on there, we can replace that together, working together. That it's faster and it's more effective. Uh, if you choose to, that also means we need to rethink our, the way that we work together and, and, and we need to experiment. We need to figure it out together as well because uh, and the challenge for enterprise architects. So, you know, let's look at it from their point of view. Um, they've got all these teams that they need to support. And these, all these teams are working in different ways. So they've got a tough job. Um, and, and they're probably overwhelmed with the change in technology, the change in the organization, um, and the change, that, the change in, the, in the business environment. So they've they got a lot on their plate. And so we need to appreciate that. And, and we need to have empathy for that. We need to and, and, you know, you know, walk a mile in their shoes for a while. Um, and then, uh, because, you know, it'll, it'll probably be a lot harder than you think. Um, yeah. but yeah, I, I fully believe that they're good, good, smart people doing the best they can, um, as that, you know, maybe we can help them do better. Um, I think that's what we need to look and they, and they can help us do better too. Right. So you got to figure out how to off, you know, they need to, you know, if they are overwhelmed, they need to figure out how to offload some of their stuff on, onto the team. Right. Right. Yeah. No, no, that makes sense. Okay. Um, so the the name of this show is uh, is is being human. <laughs> so I thought, and, and it seems to me that we've touched on various times on the, on the human condition in this in this conversation. So I thought I'd take this in a slightly deeper direction now and ask ask you, Scott, okay. what does it what does it mean to be human? Oh, those darn humans! So definitely, you don't want to be a a, a Klingon. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So what does it mean to be human? Um, I think um, yeah, let me throw some words there. I, I think um, empathy. Um, is a, is a, you know, having empathy for others and, and, and assuming the best, I think, um, because almost, you know, and yes, there's the occasional Satan worshiper out there, but you know, they're all, everybody else are decent people, um, doing the best they can, um, in the situation that they're in. And, um, I think that that's always my assumption and because it, and it almost always holds true. So, you know, so it's a safe assumption to make. So, and we need to understand that, um, you know, we need to make an effort to try to understand others and where they're coming from and, and have a discussion, like, you know, share a meal with them, have a, you know, go out for a, go out for a drink if, you know, if, if, if that's good with them. Um, and, you know, build, build bonds, build a, build a relationship with them and, and understand where, what they're, what they're doing, what they're trying to achieve and where they're coming from. 
and and you'll find that you know they're more than happy to to do the to do this agile stuff and to to improve and to change and experiment um just you know they need to um be given an opportunity to um, and 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 they're equally frustrated i'm sure they always have you know um it's easy to point the finger finger at others but it's um you know i'm sure they're pointing the finger at you too so um, this is why we need to have these conversations and, uh, we need to, we need to learn from each other. I think that's, that's another thing too. Uh, you know, when you work together collaboratively, when you choose to do that, um, you always learn something and it's always way more interesting. Um, it's pretty rare that I can run into somebody that I don't, I'm not going to learn anything from. Um, just for, it's a weird example, but just the other day, I, you know, I was working with this team and we started talking about our kids for some reason. and and um, somebody's you know a couple of them had younger children and than, than my own and they started talking about this song called baby shark um and they warned me everybody warned me don't don't listen to this song it's horrible um because it's an earworm and sh- so sure enough i went and downloaded it from youtube and and yes i shouldn't have listened to that song but um but yeah so i learned that don't don't listen to baby shark so um but <laughs> but how the heck would i have ever learned that if i didn't you know i would never have randomly thought to search for a, a song about baby sharks. So, um, yeah, so it's some weird thing that, you know, I, I learned the hard way, but, but yeah, but, you know, but realistically I'm always learning about, you know, work, anybody I work with, I'm always learning some new, um, new technique, new way of, way of thinking, new, um, new application of an existing technique. Um, it's great. So why wouldn't I want to do that? So I think, um, you know, when you're human, you, you appreciate others and you, well, you, you yourself should be human. And I think too, there's, um, um, good things to be said about, um, you know, taking care of yourself and, um, you know, mind, body, spirit. I think, um, I, uh, I used to study martial arts and I, I hope to, uh, and I, every so often I do still do Tai Chi, but, um, I, and I hope to get back into it in, into it more, um, particularly my daughter, who's now I'm talking about finally taking martial arts. So I suspect we'll be, uh, doing the daddy, daddy daughter thing soon. I hope we'll have to see how that works out. But, um, in martial arts, we talk and what about happens when she can start kicking your ass. Scott. Well, yeah, well, that'll be about a, after about a week of training. So, um, so that'll be good. Yeah. I want her to be able to do that. Uh, and look after herself, but, um, but yeah, in martial arts, we talk about mind, body, and spirit, and you really, you need to you know, take care of all, all, all those aspects of, of your own life and your family. And, and of course your, your uh, colleagues, um, and we need all need to be, we need to be working together on that. And if you, um, I think if you, um, downplay one of those three aspects, um, then, um, you know, you know, let it wither on the vine or what, you know, whatever analogy you want to use. Um, I think as a, as a, as a person, as a human, um, you suffer from that. Um, so we, we really do need to, um, um, look at all, all aspects of our, of ourselves you take care of yourself, um, and take care of your family, of course. But, um, I think that's absolutely critical. So yeah, I think uh, being human is, 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 is definitely important. Um, and I think, um, and we're all, we're all getting there. You know, there's all that. It's interesting as you get older, you start to, you know, there, there's a saying that, you know, you realize once you're old that you, your entire life is spent becoming the person you always were meant to be. Um, and, and sadly, if you did, had only known that when you're 20, but uh, you know, all that sort of thing. But yeah, and I think it's, you know, you are becoming the person that you are, that you, that you, that you are. And I think that's a, it's an, you know, we're all, we're all on a journey. And I think that's a, that's a fun and interesting thing. Hmm. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Scott. Uh, 
I really appreciated this this conversation. Um, I certainly learned a lot talking about about learning, and 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 it's so true. That is, I mean, there are other animals that that can learn from each other, but you humans do have this unique capacity to learn from each other, and it's uh, yeah, something we should yes, remember. I think so. Um, so I've yeah, as I say, I've, I've learned a lot. For people who want to learn more about your work and specifically disciplined agile, where where best for them to go? Yeah, I think um, we've got a couple sites. Uh, we're still sort of reworking uh, uh, disciplined-agile.com. Uh, but right, certainly right now, uh, disciplinedagiledelivery.com um, has a lot of great material on it and uh, you know, pr- perhaps an overwhelming amount of material on it. But there's a, a lot of great stuff there. Um, at, or just you know, do a quick search for, search for me or for Discipline Agile. Um, and if you get a chance, uh, check out uh, our new book, Choose Your Wow. I think there's a lot of uh, great ideas there for anybody who um, believes in this message that their that their teams can learn how to uh, improve and and get on this continuous uh, learning journey. Yeah, and I would totally endorse that. Having read the book, and in sort of every aspect you can possibly imagine of of, of delivery and and the broader context of the organisation you're in, there are sets of options to consider, right? And there's ways to think through the problems with your decision trees. Um, it, it really is. It's it's a reference book, right? But it's um, it it, it's it's a it's a very I can see how powerfully useful it can be as as a as a reference. Thank you. Yeah, and we get we get that sort of feedback all the time. Um, you know, we've run into coach, you know, experienced coaches that said, you know, man, I wish I had this like you know five years ago, ten years ago, or experienced practitioners that um, you know you know really ho- had wished they had that a long time ago, and 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 frankly are still getting value. Uh, can still get value from it, even though they are, you know, f- you know, pretty fairly experienced. So I think there, there's a lot, there's a, a lot of, uh, there's a huge wealth of information um, there that you can leverage on your team. Okay. And we'll put the links to, to everything you've just mentioned in the description to the episode. Okay, just thanks thank me. You. Just uh, leaves me to thank you once again for your time. Yeah. My pleasure. And, and everybody should go out and, and listen to baby shark. <laughs> we'll put me. a link to that as well. Oh, okay. that's horrible. Don't do it. It's horrible. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah, never get much, the your head. Okay. Thank you. Thanks All right. Time. Have a great day. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.